Welcome to Podcast 99. I'm Ryan Lichten. Today we have another Survivor Stories for you. This one is with Brian Quinby. He is the host of the POD cast, the New Metal Album Review Podcast, as well as Street Fight Radio. He's also a guest every once in a while on the Chapo Trap House podcast. We were very excited to have him. I actually didn't know that he was a Survivor when we decided to you know, have him on. I thought we were just going to talk New Metal, and then I was surprised with a very awesome Survivor story. So, with that being said, let's get right into it. This is Survivor Stories with Brian Quinby. I'm here with Brian Quinby. He is the host of Street Fight Radio, also the POD cast with a K. Uh, You guys can put that together and realize why we're having him on today. Um, So, you had mentioned us. You you were brought to us by a friend of our show, Shane Greenberg. So, shout out to Shane for introducing us. You were recently on, what, what was it, Chapo Trap House when you mentioned us? Yeah, they're good buddies of ours, and uh, they wanted to do a show about the documentary, and I, since I went, everybody wants me to do their show right now. Right, so yeah, so you went. Yes, I did go to Woodstock 99. Okay, see, that is actually a crucial detail that I was not aware of. <laughs> so this is going to uh, completely alter uh, uh, you know, the, the entire uh, direction of the conversation. So... Let me do it the right way then. Going all the way back, Brian, the year is 1999. When do you realize that you're going to go to Woodstock? The day before Woodstock 99. Or, yeah, it was the day before. Uh, I worked at this golf course making like $4.50 an hour, and it was payday. And a bunch of my friends were going to an amusement park, but I wasn't going. <laughs> so me and the other three, me and the other four, three people that weren't going to the amusement park were like, let's go to Woodstock. And we just, we basically got off work, jumped in the car and drove there, bought tickets in Buffalo and went straight to the show. Now, were you like, a, a, like what bands were, you know, kind of jumping out at you at the time that made you want to go? Or was it more of like, a, well, we have to go because it's Woodstock, you know, was it was it like that? I think it was more bands. I don't really think that I had a big uh, affinity for like the Woodstock brand, you know? Right. It was, uh, I wanted to see uh, Corn, Lip Biscuit, ICP, all the problems, really. <laughs> I, I think Rage Against the Machine was like a big selling point for me because they weren't touring much and uh, I hadn't seen them yet. So they were a big deal. But yeah, it was like Corn, Limp Biscuit, Rage Against the Machine. Uh, I can't think of who. Uh, basically, them, really. It, like I went all, for the all new of metal. The bands, stuff. basically, that everyone that we've talked to says that they didn't go to see. So, so this is, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, this is great. So, I mean, what, what was your guys' plan? Like, like what, did you have camping stuff? Were you going to stay in the car? Like, like what, what, what was your battle plan going in? Uh, my girlfriend's dad had a tent, so I went and borrowed that from him. And then for some reason, I remember buying Pop-Tarts as food (laughs) and then (laughs) jumping into, I mean, I was, uh, 20 years old, I think it's like 
my first time ever leaving the state without my uh, parents. And it was just really on a whim. And I, I, I remember I made them stop and eat at a truck stop because I had not done that. And I thought that was like a big thing, right. you know, <laughs> and this woman that I worked with, her husband was a truck driver. So she was like, "Will he'll give you directions on how to get there. He gave us directions to Woodstock, New York. Oh, my God. It's like so, he's not wrong, but he's not right. We turned an eight-hour drive into 13 hours because we, we drove all the way across Pennsylvania, then up to Rome from there. We didn't figure out we were going the wrong way until, like, we stopped at a gas station. And a uh, guy was like, "Why are you, if you're from Ohio, why are you here to get to Woodstock? And we we're like, oh. Is this the wrong way? <laughs> yeah. G well, and yeah, and there's no like GPS or, you know, internet, you know, going on at the time to help you with that. So you arrive like, or as you're pulling in, what are your thoughts upon seeing the venue, you know, uh, upon, upon getting a lay of the land, like as you're pulling up, what, what are you thinking? Uh, you know, this is the most people I've ever seen. You know, it was that kind of thing where it was like, man, there's a lot of people at this thing. And uh, um, it didn't look like a place where you would see a concert, which that ended up bearing itself out pretty well as as the weekend went on. But yeah, just, you know, uh, we got there and we were like, we got to find drugs like right now. So that was like the big first thing was just, running around asking people if they had drugs. A guy gave us a, uh, uh, I believe they called them goofballs at the time. They were big <laughs> <laughs> edibles before there were a lot of edibles out there. So we got one of those. And Like what, and, what uh, kind of food would have been the basis for a goofball? Like was it like a brownie or like was it actually mashed up into a ball? It was. It was like a ball. You know, now that I think about it, they probably just made – now that I do make edibles and do a bunch and, you know, do a lot more drugs, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they probably just like carb the weed in peanut butter and then just rolled it up into a ball and we're eating it that way is, is my guess. <laughs> yeah, it's edible, but it might not be an edible is uh, no, it's was not good. <laughs> <laughs> so like and as you're getting in i mean because obviously drugs weren't hard to find you know that like, once you get in there i mean like being a 20 year old kid first time out of state like how overwhelmed were you getting into the gates uh i was pretty fucking weirded out just because like like i said i'd been to a lot of concerts but never to a you know uh, I was very much into like that new metal scene and uh, pre, I don't know. It would have to be like, I started seeing these bands in clubs. Like, you know, I saw corn at a, at a 600 seat venue. And, and like, I think the scale of it was just so much for me to like handle. The biggest thing I'd been to was an arena show. You know, there weren't, these festivals that there are now that I've been to a few of like Austin city limits and stuff like that. They like didn't have those back then. So it just seemed so big. And like, I remember getting up to the gate. 
I, I thought the wall looked really cool. I was really excited to see the peace wall that got torn down. Right. <laughs> and I remember getting up to the gate and just like, I saw in that documentary, they were saying like, you weren't allowed to bring in outside drinks and stuff like that into Griffiths park. But like, I have full vivid memories of people with 24 packs of beer on their shoulders, just walking through security as, as they got through. I don't remember them like caring at all what you brought in to that festival. Yeah. You I, know, th I, that's what we've heard from, from a lot of the other people that, that we've you know interviewed. And then we've talked to some people that said, you know, if you got in like first thing in the morning, they might go through your shit, but like by two o'clock, you're just getting waved through. You know, so it might be might be that. But then we've also talked to guys that were like, yeah, well, we just came in through like a hole in the fence, even though we had a ticket, you know, and so we were able to bring in whatever. I mean, did you once you like you bought a ticket, right? So like, did you feel oh, yeah. like you shouldn't have once you got there and you saw kind of like how kind of crazy it was? Like as far was as like such, getting in without having to pay. I was such like a bad kid, you know, but uh, since I was out of town, I think it was like this weird thing where like, I don't want to go to jail. So, yeah. We bought tickets, and, and back then, I don't know why, but, like, we tried to go in, in Ohio. We, I live in Columbus. We tried to go to the grocery store, Kroger, and just buy tickets for the show, and they said, you can't buy them in Ohio. You have to get to New York to buy them. So we drove to New York to buy the tickets. Once we got to New York, we sat outside of an arena <laughs> that was in Buffalo that had a uh, box office and we just waited until they opened and then bought our tickets as soon as we got there. And then, you know, headed off onto the, uh, headed off onto the festival. So yeah, we had tickets. We, I was, I was kind of just, I don't know why, but I had in my mind that if I tried to sneak in or something, I'd go to jail in New York. And I said this on Chapo, but like, I was such like a hillbilly guy that like I didn't really know that I wasn't in New York City, right. really. Right, exactly. Yeah, you're thinking, oh man, dude, New York is like the toughest fucking state, and you get up there and you're like Green Acres. Yeah, I thought I was like, man, you know, I'm surprised I'm not seeing any big buildings, and I just kind, <laughs> I just kind of assumed that like everybody there was from. New York, New York City, and that they were going to be really aggressive and stuff. It's really weird because now I've, you know, I've done live shows a lot in New York and, and have hung out there a lot now. And like, it's so weird how scared I was that whole time. I said this when I was on Chapo, but like, I don't think I talked to five people that I wasn't with at this festival because right. I was just so fucking. I was just so worried about being taken advantage of by some like slick New York con man or something. <laughs> hey, hey, kid, o over here with his watch, like just up against the fucking you know hemp jewelry tent, uh, you know, beckoning you nearer. Well, you know, I could see that though. I mean, shit, like I like the first time I ever went to a festival. I mean, same same thing. I was just like, fuck, like you know, when I saw Rage Against the Machine, I'm like 17 years old. People are starting fires. I'm thinking like, okay, it's a riot. It's time to go home. I might have to call my dad. Not having any idea that like it would have been totally like, it was fine but so it's it's funny I'll, I'll tell you what though it's funny because i had been in a riot in 1997 like you can google this in columbus ohio at 
Ozfest '97, yes. there was a riot. Yes, that was. I was in. Yeah, I, I, I actually in know this because on our other show, Culture Dumps, we did a whole episode about the Lilith Fair, and uh, so that year that Ozfest, you know, broke out into a riot because uh, Ozzy didn't perform. Right. That that was yes. the, that was the thing. So that same year, Lilith Fair took place at that same venue, and the, Sarah McLaughlin, the headline, the Ozzy of Lilith Fair, uh, dropped out, and everyone just like. Oh, I hope she's okay. And just like filed out. And I'm like, dude, the difference between like the Ozfest crew losing a headliner versus Lilith Fair in the same venue the same year is fucking hilarious. Yeah. And I wasn't able, I don't think I was able to even gauge how dangerous a riot might be. I, you know, those, I said this on the other show and I'll say it now. I, I was not afraid at Woodstock 99 at all. Like, right. I, I wasn't a woman, so that's one reason. Like, you know, the sexual assaults and stuff are fucking terrible, but, like, I maybe didn't even have the awareness to know that it was going sideways while I was there. Yeah. So, like, I I thought that everything seemed pretty crazy, but, like, I also just kind of thought, like, well, everything seems crazy because it's a, a you know, a lot of these bands are metal bands, that 250,000 people are here to see. So it's going to seem crazy. It never seemed out of control to me when I was there. Right. So even when you're watching like the, the music, cause you know, I mean, you, you went for the, the gnarliest bands that played. So that first day, you know, you had uh ICP, like, like, did you, you went and saw them while you were there? Oh yeah. I loved them. That's, I, I, that's my favorite set of the uh, uh, festival was ICP. Okay. Now did just, it sound weird to like did it sound good when you were seeing them because when you watch the video there's a weird thing with the delay that we talked about where it, it makes them sound like dog shit but i'm guessing that's not how it was when you were there yeah my memory is that it sounded good uh uh but it could be bad you know it could have sounded bad when you're standing in front of something that big with that kind of stuff going on uh, you know you, you'll forgive a lot of bad sound stuff Right. When you're actually at the event, because I've I, I've also watched the uh, ICP set on uh, the YouTube videos. Right. And yeah, it's terrible. But like at the time, I just was like, this is and I had seen ICP a bunch of times before this. And I was like, man, this is like the best ICP has ever been. And like, they're great in concert. I know I listen to your guys' show and some of you have seen them too like oh, they're yeah. fucking great oh no they, they, they nail it we always tell people when people are like judgy about icp i'm like you don't know what the fuck you're talking about like i don't like i can't name all their albums and i wouldn't even try to name you know like a favorite song but i've seen them three fucking times and i'll tell you right now it's one of the best live acts you can go to no matter what you think yeah i'm going to my first gathering this year so oh. like <laughs> i'm i'm like really excited about it but they kicked the money i you guys talked about this. Nobody else has ever brought it up that when they kicked the money into the audience, that was fucking incredible. That was so cool that they were taping hundred dollar bills to balls and kicking them into the audience. Yeah. And, it, it's awesome. I mean, and with all the money they save using Fago instead of like a name brand, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm sure they had some extra dough to fucking, you know, kick around like that. That was the first time I saw ICP and stayed away from the Fago. That right. was like because I was like, I'm going to be here for two more days and uh, I don't want to have Fago all over me because, you know, uh, uh, I wasn't going to shower there. 
Right. It just that wasn't ever going to happen. <laughs> right. So, well, when, when did you make up the like, like? When did you make your mind up about that? Like, as you're coming in on the on that first day, like, because you know, it, it, I'm guessing it took a while for things to get really shitty. But like, were you like when you walked in, were you kind of like, oh yeah, this isn't like we're really roughing it here? Uh, yeah. I I think when I realized we were roughing it, right, was like we got there. Uh, we pulled the tent out of the car to set it up and realized that we didn't have stakes for the tent. Like that, <laughs> that my now father-in-law had forgotten to give me the stakes. So I was like, well, we have to go get stakes. And they had these fucking buses that were the most psycho thing that I have ever been involved in where you would get on a bus that was painted with like kind of the theme stuff on it. Right. And you would ride that bus into town and then you could go shopping. And we went to Walmart in the city and they were out of anything that resembled a camping supply. And they were out of water and like anything that would have been helpful. Right. Yeah, I'm, sure. <laughs> I'm sure. So, and how many people were taking those buses like like just on, on a whim, like during the concert to go shop? I mean, were they packed? They were always full. I, I dude, I got on that bus uh, uh, Saturday uh, early, not early, but like we were like, OK, Limp Biscuit goes on at whatever time they went on. We got to get into town and eat because we couldn't afford the food in the venue. Like there was just, I didn't, I, I think I had a $450 paycheck at that time and it cost $200 to get into the show. And I had to throw in on gas. So like, I didn't have any money. Right. Especially not for, for shit there. No way. Yeah, so we had we were like we got to go into town. There's a the bus stops at a Burger King. Uh, we'll go to the Burger King. We'll get food, and then we'll come back and catch, you know, the 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 at Limp Biscuit and uh, Rage and and Metallica. We'll get back and catch all that. And like that bus was full of people, and they were just fucking freaking out the whole time on the bus. They're screaming. They're screaming out of the windows. They're throwing shit. <laughs> They're getting drunk. They're fucking hanging out all over the place. And then we got to the fucking Burger King and they were, you basically had to go up and say, what do you have right. that I can order? <laughs> and the place was trash. This Burger King was trash. And I remember feeling so bad for the people working at that Burger King for that weekend because it's like they're not getting a bonus or right. any extra oh, money no. yeah yeah no way <laughs> yeah no, no hero making... hero pay or whatever we call it now yeah they're just making whatever they make and they're, they're probably stuck there so we went there and then we jumped on the bus to get back to the festival and it just like i was i, I said when we got off that bus and alanis morissette was on stage we got off the bus and I fucking looked at my friends and I was like, we, I'm not getting back on one of those buses. That's it. Like, we're going to leave before I get back on one of those buses to eat. And that's actually what ended up happening. We ended up leaving Sunday morning because okay. there were no bands I wanted to see on Sunday. I, I haven't looked at the lineup, but 
I don't think there are any bands that I would want to see right. now. Well, well looking at, at your <laughs> at your list of episodes here on uh, your your new metal album review show, uh, POD Cast. I hope uh, that's how you guys pronounce it. But um, you you know you guys have done like Godsmack. They played on Sunday. Um, you know I, I don't know if you guys have done Seven Dust, but they played on Sunday. That's like our favorite uh, Sunday set here. But I mean, really, if, if being the music fan that you were at the time, I feel like you getting that triple punch, the Limp Rage and Metallica thing. That that's kind of it. Like then you you would be ready to go after that. I mean, what like walk us through Limp Biscuit, like because that's what everyone wants to hear about. I mean, I made my way. It's funny because the fact that Alanis Morissette or Jewel, I can't remember. It's one of those two. It was Alanis but, on Saturday. Alanis. So she's playing before Limp Biscuit, and the crowd, I don't know why in that documentary it made it sound like the crowd was, like, constantly, like, crazy. You know, like, that the, the crowd was, like, a constant mosh pit because, like, during Alanis it was normal. It was probably roughly about what it would be like if you saw Alanis Morissette, like right. people weren't moshing and screaming. So like, you know, I, I was a metal kid growing up. So I knew that like, if you get there while the act is on before the act you want to see, you just walk right up to the front yeah. because the people that want to be there aren't probably there. And the Alanis Morissette fans aren't going to like, what are they going to fucking do? Yeah, unless they're <laughs> fucking trapped, which I feel like happened to plenty of people where they're like, oh, fuck, like they realize like they can't get out, and now they're like, they have to survive Limp Bizkit. Yeah, so I got up front. Uh, I got really close to the stage for Limp Bizkit, and uh, they started playing, and I moshed, you know, for like, I think three songs before the, the fences, right. the uh, plywood came out, right? And I was standing in a hole in the pit. I have a picture that I took just from my like perspective inside of the pit during Limp Biscuit. Oh my and God. I was in kind of a hole during that time where there weren't a lot of people. People were just ramming into running across this circle and ramming into each other. Uh, and I looked up and one of those pieces of plywood was flying towards me. <laughs> and, uh, I remember seeing the thickness of the plywood and just being like, Hey, that stuff doesn't look that thick when it's like not flying through the air. And, uh, I just took off running and like the, the running as fast as I could. And just the mosh pit was endless. It was so endless that like, were, were you with I, your friends at that time? Or did you guys kind of get like separated? We all got separated because, like, you know, one of my buddies is, like, a really small guy, and he was really fucking drunk. And then my other friend was this guy that's, like, the, this this redneck who had, who had kind of just stood in the back anyway. He didn't – he just wanted to be at Woodstock. He, he didn't care about any of the bands. Right. Yeah. yeah. And well. then uh, my other buddy is a big dude. So me and him went up to the front. I was a very small guy and then me and him got separated like immediately. And, uh, I don't even remember how, I think we had to meet each other back at the car because there's no way to find each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, so running through that crowd, cause you know, like for instance, like we always said like corn and Limp Bizkit have the most buck wild crowds, you know, at least from what, yeah. from what you can see, you know, and like, 
when you're running trying to get away like are, do you start panicking at all like you know like noticing that you're never getting out like the, there's more and more people no matter how fast you're going I didn't uh, no uh, because I've been in so many like I had seen Pantera a bunch of times and like been in some pretty rough mosh like a Pantera mosh pit was honestly scarier than that Limp Biscuit pit I mean the the new metal style of moshing is not that violent really right. it's just kind of bumping into each other as you move more than it is like hitting as hard as you can so like i don't think i panicked but i did like feel like holy fucking shit i have been running for actual minutes as i'm trying to get out of this thing like I haven't run this much since I was like in high school running track or something right. like that. Cause it, yeah. just, <laughs> it felt so long. It felt, it felt like it was endless. It went on and on and on as you got out. And by the time you get out, it's funny. A lot of my pictures are from where the pit ends, like, especially during corn, like I was just really tired and I didn't want to be up that close because I was tired. So like my pictures of the stage, I took the worst pictures in the world. Like they are the most worthless pictures anybody has ever taken. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd still like to take a look, you know? Oh, they're so bad though. They're, they're <laughs> so, the, I must've been thinking through the whole thing. Like people got to see how big this crowd is. So I was just, <laughs> Taking my disposable, yeah, I was taking my disposable camera and lifting it up and just snapping pictures, and then I was taking pictures of the two big round screens that were on the side of the stage that would show the faces of the band and stuff like that. So yeah. a lot of my pictures are of the pictures uh, are pictures of the film of the band on the stage, <laughs> <laughs> and it was nobody had people weren't carrying around cameras like they are now and didn't know what made a good picture and you couldn't check them. So like when I got the pictures back and, and you know, I'm, I'm still with the girl I was with at that time when she looked through it, she's like, why did you even buy a camera, dude? Right. Like, these are totally worthless. Oh my God. That's so fucking funny though. But I mean, you know, the, the, the memories are there. So after, after Limp Biscuit you know, rage comes on. Did you, did you get into it for that? Or were you kind of like sidestepping the crowd for, for, for that part? I sort of let down by rage. I remember. And then I spoke to my buddy, Chris, uh, Chris Wade. He, he is the producer of Chapo trap house. Okay. And he does a show called and introducing. That's like a podcast about books, about music. And, uh, he's obsessed with Woodstock 99. And oh, he had great. mentioned to me, he yeah he had mentioned to me when we talked the first time that he'd heard that Rage Against the Machine was told to like kind of chill out a little bit yeah. you know what I mean like to that, not that's, go that's crazy. What we were told as well. Um, but what we heard is that they had turned down they had either turned off some of the delay tower so it wouldn't reach as far, or they literally like toned down the mix so it wasn't like so big and banging like hoping that that would you know quell the crowd um it, rather than you know the, like the fact that their songs are literally like fuck you i won't do what you tell me like people still went fucking you know crazy from, from what i can see but yeah they definitely had an audio like toned down thing i remembered it be i remembered feeling like it was quiet like 
You know, and, and I forgot to say this when you asked me what bands I went to see because it'll make me, it'll probably make me look like like real white trash, but I was also very, very there for Kid Rock. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> he, he was uh, couldn't my, have been my, more my, excited. My choice for best in show, you know, because we watched every set, uh, you know, from from the pay per view videos. Yeah, uh, well, okay, forget about Rage for a second. Let, let, let's go back earlier in this day. So Kid Rock, uh, he had a lot of stage antics going on. Like, what was what was the Kid Rock set like for you? I'll say this before Kid Rock. Or after one of the two, you're gonna know better than me. The tragically hit played right before. Have you ever watched that set? You've watched that set? Oh yeah. I feel for you because I don't like that kind of music. But <laughs> <laughs> um, during that set, they did like I think the Canadian national anthem or something like that, and uh, people had Canadian flags. That- they were waving and right. guys were just ripping those flags out of people's <laughs> hands and booing the Canadian national anthem and there was something at the time so funny to me about that now I'd be like ah oh, you know leave them alone right. <laughs> like at right. the time I thought it was yeah. so funny well because it's like a very like I mean first of all like anything having to do with like hating Canada like like, like having it be like a Canada versus America thing is kind of silly but like yeah, it's like this super America, like fuck that, like no can no Canadian fights, like like dude, like don't be like Canadian racist, you know? It's like, yeah, it, yeah, it is, it is really crazy. It's also funny though that it it was like, of course, the Kid Rock fans had to be right there with all the guys coming to see this indie Canadian band, and the two had to fucking go head to head. It had to be that lineup, you know? It might not have happened. Yeah. other fans for a different band were lining up. Yeah, and it's nineteen ninety nine too, so that really aggressive patriotism hadn't really kicked in from 9-11 yet right exactly so like there was also when rage played they burned some american flags and and they got some booze for that like people got very mad about that around (laughs) me i i loved it because i just liked edgy shit you know so i was just like yeah burn those fucking flags fuck them but um yeah kid rock uh (laughs) he opened with a a thing of a guy describing all the ways you could say the word fuck. And, right. uh, it, it's a really hacky thing now because of the internet, you can like get your hand on it and listen to it anytime. But man, when that thing was playing, people were fucking dying laughing. It was as if they'd heard the funniest thing they'd ever heard. And I was fucking flipping out <laughs> laughing at <laughs> Yeah, dude, 20 just, years old, going to see Kid Rock, you're going to laugh at that. Yeah, and 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 also right before Kid Rock, a bunch of guys with socks on their penises were throwing shit at the MTV news booth, which I had been camping out at, basically. Uh, uh, sitting, because they were... <laughs> it's funny that they said they needed to get out of there, and we can't guarantee your safety, because while... John Norris was out walking around interviewing people. There were a few times where I saw people get like really needlessly aggressive to him. Yeah. And uh, that was funny. Like to me, I thought it was very funny, but uh, MTV was way up in the air. Like they had a big, they were on like scaffolding way up. 
Do you think so? That nobody made... was going to get to them, right? Do you think that that pissed off the people even more? Because obviously their presence there, like, represent. I mean, a like let's not forget to mention that all of these bands are on MTV. Like MTV is responsible oh, yeah. for these bands being at Woodstock in the fucking first place, but they also happen to play other music that you might not like so let's fuck over mtv but like do you think that them having such a high rise like you know scaffolding presence there amongst all the shit like fueled the hate towards mtv more i think that encouraged people to throw stuff at them because what's more fun than like throwing stuff at a target like they gave them <laughs> it's primitive, they gave yeah. people a target yeah so you're like standing under it just throw i I didn't really do it because I didn't under I well nervous too. I like an anxious guy, so I don't like confrontation. So I didn't want to fight with the MTV people. It didn't. It wasn't something that like I needed to do. But uh, it, it, I was standing there for the Kid Rock thing, and people were just taunting Carson Daly through the whole thing. And it you're you you make a great point that like Carson Daly was playing Limp Biscuit and Corn and. And all of this stuff on his fucking yeah. show. It was like, 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 what the fuck? It's like, dude, like, but like, it's so funny. It's like, okay, Corn will be like number one for like a week and a half. Like somehow number one band in the country, pretty much as far as everyone's concerned. And then like for just a second, it'll be Backstreet Boys and it'll go back and forth. And every time it's Backstreet Boys, fuck MTV. Every time it's Corn, fuck yeah, TRL. It's like, dude, get a fucking grip. It's the same fucking show. Yeah, I, I, that never ceases to amaze me. Like looking back on that shit. They also had to re start retiring videos because of Corn, because Corn got the life was number one for so long. They were like, you can only be number one for this many weeks because this will never move out of number one. So it's like politics, I, you know, it's like with the president, they're like, nope, like four years. That, like, that's what you get with them. We're yeah. going to retire. You're a freak on a leash regime. Yeah. And I, I, I just like. I loved Corn so much. Like my first like 15 concerts was Corn. And uh the the big rumor, I don't know if you guys listen to Corn, so Oh yeah. <laughs> you oh, might yeah, no, not. definitely. Yeah. I mean, but we we've, the big... we've dabbled with every Woodstock 99 artist, but Corn was one that was before, yeah. The the big rumor about Corn at Woodstock 99 was that they were going to play Daddy, which oh, is a right. song yeah, about his his childhood abuse where he cries for like 10 minutes at the end. And uh, that was a real big deal to me at the time, like that the lead singer of a band would cry because he was having so much emotions. It was right. this weird thing where like I wouldn't cry about right. anything because it was I'm, a, you know, trying to do masculinity or whatever. But like the fact that he did it like really like that was kind of what sold me on the band. It was like, these guys have like real emotions, but at the end of the corn set, he did cry. He like right. flipped out while he was singing, kill you. I well, believe. It, well, they, they also did play their song, you know, with an E uh, as we will always stress uh, on this show. And like, we were like, Whoa, like, and that wasn't one that they would usually play by everything that, that we, we read. And then it's like, well, they brought it out there at Woodstock. Just again, like one of these like things where it's like, it's, we never blame the bands. We always blame the people and the promoters. But it's like a song like that doesn't help the mentality because while that song is about being picked on and being like persecuted and, you know, oppressed and all that stuff for being, you know, who you are, that's not what like these jocks that would beat up the corn no. fans back at school are, are taking from it. They're just like loving the fact that there's a song where it's like angrily screaming that that word, you know. I just saw corn right before the uh, pandemic and they still play that song. 
Uh, but yeah, you're right. Like when you have a song like clown and I'll, I'll give you a shortcut. I know you've already recorded all the episodes about this, but on the POD cast, because my fans on my end, the, the street fight fans are, you know, leftists yeah. and stuff. So I, I, we call it Faget. That's, that's actually how it's great. spelled. Yeah, we, we, we always <laughs> just stress the E and uh, kind of, you know, their words, not our thing. <laughs> but yeah, that's great. That's yeah, how Faget, yeah. yeah. You know, maybe, that's how it's spelled. I, I would that's love our to, way like, around. run into Jonathan Davis one day and he's like, yeah, I heard that. Uh, why do you keep calling that song that? It actually is Faget. Like, you're just like. Yeah. <laughs> but but I mean, it was mind blowing. Like, and you're right, because like the line where he says you can suck my dick and fucking like it is like appropriate if you're singing about the thing that he's singing about or in clown where it's like clown you ain't shit turn around get your face split these are songs that maybe do have a basis in a kind of sadness and and like an underdog mentality but divorce that from a lot of people that listen to this stuff like divorce that from what the song is. So when he yells, you can suck my dick and fucking like it, the audience sees that as like a, a fucking, I'm going to be violent. You know right. what I mean? I'm yelling this at somebody. <laughs> right. I exactly. And, and that was something that we felt with a lot of, you know, a, a lot of these bands, you know, and like the, we, we always go back to corn though. Cause they're like the weirdest one, you know, like they're like freaky deaky and like, yeah, have like songs like daddy and stuff. So it's like, you have so many people at Woodstock 99 that are the people that would shove like the kid with braids and a corn shirt into a locker. But now they're getting to experience a mosh pit for the first time hearing this shit and just taking it completely the wrong way. Cause they have no fucking idea what they're, what they're listening to right and then when you watch that doc even man they talk a, a lot about the kid rock set i think has the dumbest passage from that documentary right when he he says kid rock came out in a fur coat and that uh uh tells you all you need to know about inequality in america and it's like what do you? What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, dude, I get it. He said some dumb shit, but like, that's a straight. Well, I feel like that whole documentary, you know, with the exception of the interviews with the people that were there, and even like the artists, like, it's a lot of stretching, you know. And that's one thing we never wanted to do on Podcast Ninety Nine. Like, we that's why we sat there and watched every fucking set, interviewed as many people as we could that were there in every capacity to get the actual well-rounded thing. You know that, that that came out of it because yeah, I mean, people had a good time first of all, and also it's like, you know, you can say what you want about the artist, but it's mostly the millions of people buying the albums. You know that that's yeah. really the symbol of of. of the and I gotta say, I gotta say, with your show, because of of you know what I do for a living, uh, uh, on Street Fight, um, on my Patreon, I do these these uh, uh, mini series that a lot of them are deep dives. So like I do every year, a deep dive into shock jocks. Oh yeah. And, and I do one on, I just did one on real sex. That was less of a deep dive, but like, I really respected the amount of time you guys took to like really dive deep into this thing. Because like, you know, you've listened to a lot of podcasts. A lot of podcasts aren't super into like doing the work. And yeah. doing the research. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> I do want to see really, the tape you got. Yeah, it, it would have been I, really easy for us to just watch, you know, any of the sets or just like the ones that everyone knows. That that was my biggest problem with the documentary. It's like you guys picked the bands that everyone's talking about, but you're not mentioning like 
all the other shit that fucking went down. Like, it'd be so easy to fucking tell the story of, like, flames and riots just by showing Limp Bizkit, Kid Rock, and, you know, corn and shit. But, like, what about, like, they didn't even mention that Wyclef Jean set was a disaster, but they showed it so much talking about the spirit of Woodstock. It's like, are you kidding me? That's, like, the biggest joke, funniest thing that happened. Yeah, people were laughing at that stuff. And it, and that's, that is, like, I really respect the, like, I don't know, like, when I listened to your show, it took me back to being there in a way that nothing had ever been able to before. And, and I really felt like watching that, that documentary that these guys, I think, listened to your show. And, uh, I think they, to get a lot of their video clips, I feel as though, because uh, I listened to your <clears throat> episode where you talked about the offspring. Right. And they pretty much used everything you guys talked about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, and we saw that too. And I mean, we, we're not going to sit here and be like, oh, yeah. No. Like, uh, but, I mean, it is kind of interesting that like just about every fucking episode that we do- like dedicated to a single act got a lot of fucking play. And yeah, every single thing that we threw out as an exact moment in a set made it into the thing. But the thing is, it's like you're, you're allowed to laugh at some of this shit, you know? I mean, like, oh, yeah. like there's so many people that we've talked to, men and women, that, that both went and while of course there is the darkest side of it which is what brought us to the topic in the first place it's totally okay to laugh at the funny shit that happened there and how ridiculous it all was and like the rave and like the the fact that there was a fucking movie festival happening where you could go (laughs) didn't do either though yeah it's like like someone you know you could watch like the fucking like blue velvet and then you know go get like a 15 dollar plate of like hummus or whatever and then go watch icp it's like we're like this is a fun thing a funny fucking thing but all funny things you know have the the darker side to it so I, I do, I do want to ask you, uh, see, now I'm like interviewing you. Hey, go for <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. But uh, I had heard, I, I haven't watched any of the, the whole sets in a while, but like in that documentary, uh, somebody was telling me that the Fred Durst quotes, a lot of them are like super cherry picked and that there were other times where he was telling the crowd to chill out. That's absolutely true. Yeah, and I don't remember in any of that. I I don't remember any of his stage banter, but I do. I I remember him. I I I remembered him, like kind of trying to get people to cool down a little bit. That's why I think that documentary really rubbed me the wrong way because it was like, well, shit, you could cut a sentence out of every single set that happened there. Yeah, and that's what they find did. somebody. Yeah. And and how is how are these bands? supposed to know what's going on in the audience right the stage exactly if you played like even if you played a full club you don't know like someone could be having like you know a seizure or something in the back you're never going to fucking know that unless everything stops but yes so they definitely didn't include and there's different like versions uh, or edits of the Limp Bizkit set on YouTube. But if you find the longest one, there's a big part like right after break stuff or right around there, they're, they're about to go into Nookie where they um, kind of, they shut off Fred's mic, but because it's being aired out through pay-per-view, right? Like the pay-per-view audio is going straight through the mixing board. So you can still hear whatever is going through, but it's not being put out to the audience. So he's up there and he's like, Hey, like there's something going on with the mic. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? And he's, and he's like, Oh, you can't hear me. 
realizing the mic's off, and then someone runs out, talks to him, and he says, hey, they're asking me to ask you guys to mellow out. You're getting too crazy. I don't want you to mellow out, but I don't want anyone getting hurt, so please take care of each other. They didn't fucking show that shit because it's way too easy to fucking show break stuff and then be like, and then the riots happen. But no one set a fire for a full 24 hours after Limp Bizkit played. It's it's ludicrous (laughs) to fucking blame them. And also, like, as you just said, I do. I've done live shows for 350 people. I don't know what the people four rows from the front are doing. Right. I don't fucking have any idea. And you're busy. <laughs> <laughs> you are. You're at work. And I mean, you can't. You can't like go up to a guy like Fred Durst and then say, "Hey, tell the audience to to cool to mellow out." Right. Right. Yeah. Be- it's like, because. What? How do you expect him to say that? Like, in what way is he supposed to go up there and act like everybody's dad, especially the way that audience was reacting to his set? And the other thing is, like, they said, oh, well, he played break stuff and he shouldn't have played that. And it's like he had to play that. That's their that fucking, was a fucking hit. hit. Yeah. It, and again, it's like if you look at every, like because we did this, we're like, OK, let's watch fucking Family Values tour. Like literally, like the the year before that same year, and like his banter is almost word for word. Like he has, it's a bit that he's doing when he's like, "All right, take all the negative, and then we're gonna release it, so we have room for the po-. like." That's not some Woodstock shit where he's like, "Let's see how fucked up I could make this." Like, and they've been used, they played Ozfest and stuff, and Family Values. Like they're used to giant crowds; they're just not used to giant crowds that are pissed off at the concert itself. Right. I I mean, and and that's the thing. It, it, it is like. The, the only I didn't see the thing going off the rails necessarily. I saw some stuff that is like permanently seared in my brain that was kind of fucked up. Like uh, uh, there was a, a I don't know what band was playing, uh, but there was this girl who was very much enjoying the band and she was dancing in a, a in a puddle of not mud. It was yeah. shit because <laughs> The porta potties had dumped over, and she was rubbing the mud all over her body to, tr- to try to get that Woodstock '94 vibe. I think that was something that was like happening too. Was like we all watched Woodstock '94 on TV. It rained there, and people covered themselves in mud. And then the people that came to this just wanted that. I mean, I saw a stained concert with Kid Rock back way back. Uh, uh, in in the late 90s and people were still covering themselves in mud and sliding down a mud hill to recreate what happened at Woodstock 94 on MTV. <laughs> so like that's what people were doing at the time and she is just rubbing this mud all over. Me and my friends are like standing there like boy this is crazy and then you turn your head and you look and right next to her where she's dancing there's two guys just taking a piss in the oh, same puddle and it God. was the grossest i was so fucking gnarled out by it and like i will say this probably till i die unless something crazy happens but the walking into griffith's park on day two is the worst smell i've ever smelled in my life like i've never smelled anything like that it and was was it more vile. was it more poop or more trash? I mean, like, what was like the the trash situation like as you went in on that second day? When I think about it now, I think of it as as having a uh, uh, there is a poop smell, but a rotten food 
smell in a way, weirdly. Like it just smelled like you were in a trash dump. And there was trash everywhere. You know, you watch that kid rock set and he tells people to throw trash up at the stage and the entire sky is filled with trash. Right. Yeah. It's like 300. <laughs> like the sky is blackened with arrows. Like it's, I, it's insane. Seeing that really blew me away. Like I, I, it that freaked me out when I saw it. I couldn't fucking believe how much trash there was. But the other thing that is seared into my brain was getting there on Saturday morning. It would have had to been nine, maybe ten in the morning. Uh, I woke up. I grabbed a gallon of water. This is the dumbest thing any human's ever done, by the way, at a place where there's a water shortage. I grabbed a <laughs> gallon of water. <clears throat> and a bar of soap and I pour I I rubbed soap on my body and then poured the water over my head. Oh, because that's and important. that's how I showered. Because it's important yeah, to I, take a shower. <laughs> I'm a freak when it comes to being clean, but yeah, it was I never th- I can't think of a dumber thing than being at a place where there is absolutely no water and then taking a whole gallon of water and dumping it over your head like an idiot. <laughs> right, yeah, Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, so as far as, like, the water and stuff goes, like, were, were you guys just drinking beer and stuff the whole time? Or, or like, I did, what was, like, I, the party aspect of your thing, like, in in relation to keeping hydrated? Uh, it, I was just doing weed, and the hydration for me – Cause I'm, I'm not a big drinker anyway. Like I, I don't even drink now. Um, but at the time I, I just didn't, I want to get, I don't know why people get drunk at these things. Right. Well, I know because it's really fun to get drunk and party, of course, <laughs> but like you're stuck there for days, like yeah. being there for three days just felt like if I get drunk, I'll be miserable for the rest of the time after. So I, I mostly just like did weed. We, we looked for acid uh, but again, afraid to ask people for stuff or, or go up to people. Um, but it, it, we just did a lot of weed while we were there. And the water situation, we did have some jugs of water, but there wasn't free water there. At, but I had also been to Ozfest and stuff like that. And, you know, something that you do when you go to these things, and I'm sure or you did back then. I, I don't think people do this now because people aren't as stupid, right. but uh, you just kind of resign yourself to, I'm going to be thirsty this whole time and I'll <laughs> drink water when I can get it. You just accept <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah. Well, also, yeah. you know, when you're a, when you're younger, you know, it's, you're a little more resilient and able to, uh, you know, withstand a, a lot more. What was, uh, you know, you, Going back to the music really quick, when you talked about Rage kind of being a little disappointing and being quieter, did it rev back up for Metallica? No. Nope. Not at all. I I didn't care that much about Metallica, so maybe it... I was watching them, but I was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. You know, I did This is Metallica load era. Right, yeah. (laughs) People that were super into metal were not really fond of that album. So, like, I just kind of stood there and watched i i do remember again like after limp biscuit and and that's why the theories about this thing have always been weird to me but like it did feel like people were like all right well we did our thing uh let's just you know we're gonna cool down now and we're just gonna watch the bands and that yeah. might have been because rage was subdued but it, i i think like i think people were punched out by that time that riot couldn't have been more than 
I, there couldn't have been more than a few thousand people left there. That, that, I don't know yeah. the numbers. Yeah, I mean, that's what we've always heard, too, like from, from other, you know, survivors that, uh, you know, like – a, yeah, it had totally emptied out like a lot by that time. I mean, there were still tons and tons of people, but the people actually doing the looting and the breaking and the fires and all that crazy shit would have been like a small fraction of the entire crowd. Like by no means was it like a complete uprising. It was like all of the people that were the rowdiest in the pits were the ones doing this. And then everyone else was just like going back to their tent or had already left. Yeah, the only the other thing that seared in my mind is the drum circle thing. Oh, was... yeah, tell me. Craziest thing, I, I just had never seen a drum circle because I wasn't a hippie. I've seen them now because I've I've gone to events where there's hippies right. or whatever. <laughs> People that do drum circles, I don't know. I, I'm old. But uh, I went <clears throat> over. We sat and watched them, and it really did just go the whole time. It didn't stop. It was like I don't even know how a guy – Besides, he's going to hold a big rock in his hand and bang on a trash can all day and yeah. not do anything else. Yeah. <laughs> like, what that, is that, happening? That to me is the weirdest part. It's like there was no shift change. Like there's like, no. you, like, you know, like it's not like, Ooh, like, all right, like go on, come on in Earl. Like we, we saw, you know, when you watch the official, it's in the documentary too. Like so much of that footage um was and we are about to by the time this comes out it already be out but our full-on review of the whole documentary but this guy oh. he has a sign on around his neck that's like we've been drumming non-stop since like 11 p.m thursday and like by this time it's like saturday in the afternoon and it's like what the fuck are, like did you not buy a ticket or like is someone <laughs> like like you know what i mean or like is someone paying you to stay here like how yeah exactly and like yeah it's rocks in their hands banging it like to me that's the most fascinating part the mud thing it, while it's disgusting, I can understand how it started. The drum thing, no idea. Yeah, the mud thing was just so divorced from the I, – I think that's another thing that, like, people don't get because they're like, oh, they were rubbing shit all over themselves. But, like, I don't think that the people that were playing in the mud realized that they were playing in porta potty you know? Like, right. I don't think they realized – like, you could – you go to the porta potty and it would be totally filled up and disgusting and the worst place you've ever been. I don't think any of them thought like, oh, these porta potties that people have dumped over is where the water's coming from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're just playing in it. But the the drum thing was I just I stood and watched them for like ten minutes and just was like, so like what is this? I, I couldn't wrap my mind around doing that because it seemed like such a waste of fucking time really like i'm here to see this show um but also i think about it and i'm like there were booths there that i didn't even look at the whole time i was there i they talk about that that gun violence thing handing out candles i didn't know that there were candles until i got home from, right. from Woodstock until I got home, showered, turned on the TV, and then they were like, hey, there were these candles. And I don't think the fires were lit with candles either. I just don't it, it know seems, how you would do that. It seems a little crazy. I think it's just like the perfect storm. Like there was fires going, there was candles going. Like, you know, let's just all, right. let's just lump it together. Now that's I also, an, oh yeah, go ahead. I, I also. I got very mad at the documentary when they talked about the fires and maybe this is just because I'm like this anarchist guy that is kind of white trash and you know, <laughs> that's just who I am. But like 
I never understood why people were so freaked out about the fires. Right. It's an outdoor thing in a field. Somebody's not just going to wander into a fire. The, the, the fires to me really took away from the real discussion that needed to happen, which was the sexual assaults. Like we're sitting around talking about these fires that nobody got burned at this thing. Nobody burned and died. Yeah. The, at the, this the, thing. the property destruction really, well, you know what it is? I mean, a also, you know, back then they're just, you know, we just weren't as open to listening to victims and taking women seriously. Like when it, when it came to stuff like that as a society, you know, like that would never like, like now I feel like, like that a hundred percent would be at the forefront of everything. And after the first one was reported, you know, it probably would have changed the dynamic of the festival, but like back then. Yeah. And I feel like the property damage really took precedence because you were able to see it happen you know you could be like yeah like absolutely an atm was busted here's the video of people doing it absolutely you know a mercedes was flipped and set on fire here's the video of that like and so that that makes it really real whereas you know especially back then it was just like well it says here in the newspaper there was you know four or eight whatever uh, reported assaults that's just what it says but we can actually see the riots happening so let's focus on that and who knows right, and, how, and who knows how much like woodstock's pr people like pushed one side versus the other you know Right. And the property damage to me is the same as all property damage. Who fucking cares? Like, it, I, I don't care. It's all covered by insurance. Right. And I don't care about that. I, I care about people who died at this thing. And, and like when when you cut out the the, you know, you still the audience deserves a lot of blame, like for the sexual assaults and stuff like that. But anything outside of the sexual assaults i feel is the fault of the promoters yeah like and maybe even the 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 pay-per-view crew could have a little bit of responsibility for the way some of the women were were treated because they were fucking yeah. You know, well, following and, naked yeah. women around. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the pay-per-view, guys, it's like that's like sending it back back home like to people watching. But also like the Jumbotron guys, like all the camera guys, you know, and all the news like they're totally because they're like advertising it in between bands. Because when you watch like the unedited pay-per-view, which shows like the change outs of bands and stuff, because it just kept rolling the entire day. The camera guys were just looking for shit to film. So nudity became the number one thing. So not only are there naked people walking around, but it's like being advertised to you on jumbotrons like look naked ladies like all you assholes check it out there's naked ladies up here and then if you see the hands come up which inevitably you would and like you know people groping and stuff and, and copping a feel it's like when you're showing that to a crowd of thousands of people you're showing them that it's probably okay because everyone's laughing and shit there also needs to be a more official voice than rosie perez saying like stop groping people or, or like dexter holland right. i understand that like what them saying that is is very good like i yeah, i, I flea commend did them. they didn't show that but flea also uh stood up and, and said something but by the time flea i mean fires were already going like you know it, yeah. it, it was a galleon effort but i don't think i did anything i i just think that like i guess you know this is you couldn't have known before, but like, you know, it feels like I go to a lot of the bars I perform at now have signs that talk about what is off limits in a way that's like 
maybe there needed to be somebody saying like, hey, you know, don't grope people if they don't ask for it. Well, yeah, of of course. And that's the fucked up thing about humans is that, like, the fact that there, yeah, there should have been a sign. It's like, fuck, it's fucked up that we even need a sign, you know? And and I know that that's the fucking war cry of all the women that were were there. And and still to this day, it's like, we don't, we shouldn't have to tell you this, but you just fucking are this way to where you're doing this bad shit. And yeah, you know, it's like, I I think it, it meant more for Dexter of the Offspring to say something than for Rosie Perez because he was, you know, the voice of, like, like these, you know, rambunctious, crazy kids and the punk rock singer. So for him to notice it and say something, I feel like meant more to the crowd than just like a, a, a goofy woman who's kind of like joking around like with it. Like, you want to see him? Like, I'm not going to show you him. Like kind of thing, you know, because no one would expect it. Like if like if Fred Durst would have said something about it, that would have been really impactful. More so than had Alanis or, or one of the female artists, you know, because I'm like, oh, like the guy that we all worship that we're basing our behavior on says that we're acting like fucking idiots so we should chill right one of the things i've been so happy about in in maybe the past 10 15 years is that the show your tits chant is kind of extinct because that was like uh uh that was like a piece of like a lot of concerts i went to like that chant just every single fucking show that was happening yeah and what's the the payoff even you know it's like even if you see them it's like like, okay like that's it like then what you know what are you gonna do fucking jerk off like (laughs) 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 yeah what is the like point of that but yeah that that i i think that stuff is is the real story i also think that the doc did a real disservice by by sort of comparing it to Coachella, where I don't know if you've Googled Coachella and sexual assault, oh, but it's the rampant. numbers aren't good. Yeah. It, it, okay. Well, first of all, it's like you could take Woodstock as one event, and granted, like we always said, like. A, it's because they had the Woodstock brand on it. Like, Woodstock is supposed to be this peace, love, and music thing. As we all know, they never really have been, but that's just the the legacy that that it leads but yeah with Coachella I mean if you want to go like punch for punch like with all the years that they've been going on now like what like 20 some odd years like yeah they dwarf Woodstock 99 as far as terrible things that have happened right and it's still happening there's an article from 2018 on the Teen Vogue website where it was like why did you do this like why did you put this at the end of the thing and I think it's just because people want to People do want a thing to blame. They, they, they want, this was the bad one. There right. aren't bad ones anymore. And uh, that was just this one. And this one was admittedly very bad. But logistically, I mean, I, from what I've heard on your show, from what I've read since then, from what other people have told me that were like involved with it and stuff, like this thing was fucking bad it was really badly put together it uh uh they didn't care about the people in the audience at all there was you know they 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 didn't clean up the trash they didn't like pull people out of the pit they didn't like uh uh they just didn't care and and they didn't gain security i mean i i think like a trained security staff would have been able to maybe handle some of the groping stuff yeah in a way. i mean I, I absolutely and also you know like talking to the camera guys where it's like hey like 
don't fucking put up shit that we wouldn't be able to show necessarily like you know 10 years from now. you know what i mean it's like it's like don't zoom in just because you see nudity like how about you just show the people right next to the nudity having a great time and like you know, a lot of the narrative and, and the way that it's told now is completely reliant on the fact that the people that put out all the footage after the fact are just putting out the crazy shit. Right. Right. And, and it, yeah, it just is really a thing. Like, you know, also the security guards were basically just people at the concert. Yeah. Uh, the peace, the peace patrol did not feel like cops to me, if that makes sense. Like I'd been to a lot of shows with event staff, and I hated event staff at the shows I would go to. I, you know, I'd go see Corn, I'd go see Limp Biscuit, and we hated the event staff. We thought they were fucking jerk offs and they were too kind of strict and stuff like that. Right. But like at this thing, I was just like, man, the security at this thing is fucking cool, man. Like <laughs> <laughs> while I was there, I was like, security rules. Huh? <laughs> yeah, this security fucking rules, man. They're letting you do whatever you want. They're letting you bring in whatever you want. And I don't I don't know. I'm surprised I'm I'm surprised nobody brought a gun in or anything like that. Like I'm very surprised at this kind of stuff. Like when when you when I think about it now with hindsight and having having been to show, been to a lot more shows and even put on my own shows. It's like, fuck man, I run a rinky dink operation and I think I do a better job than those two Woodstock promoters. Did. Yeah, no, yeah, it's crazy. And I think that they just relied on their name a lot. They relied on the Woodstock reputation a lot. Like, you know, my, my co-host parks, he, he always says, you know, Michael Lang just sprinkles that Woodstock fairy dust on top of whatever cons, whatever shit he has thrown together. But then you just put the Woodstock name on it and now it'll be a big thing. Now it'll be great. Like despite all the other shit, because he, it's almost like the promoters thought that the lack of toilets and sanitation stuff was like the charm of Woodstock, but it's like, yeah, it's, it's not fucking charming. You assholes. Like people are fucking dying and getting sick and getting trench foot and E. Coli and like all, all kinds of fucking crazy shit. I mean, like, so when you got home after that and you start seeing everything on the news about it, like what, what were your thoughts? Were you like, Oh shit, glad we got out of there. Could you have foreseen it happen like boiling down the way it did? No, God, I, I the, I'm going to be honest here instead of, uh, uh, just lying with hindsight. But, uh, when I saw the riots happening, I was like, man, I wish we would have stayed. Why did we fucking leave? Yeah. I was like so <laughs> mad. I wanted to be in that riot so bad. But like uh, as as an adult, I, I, you know, obviously I look back on it now and I'm like, man, it was really smart to get out of there. It was really smart to like kind of trust my instincts and 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 also just laziness. And and I was just tired. I didn't. I didn't want to be there anymore. And that's a, that's like a really telling thing that like this kid that hated his, I hated my parents. Right, I didn't want to yeah. fucking go home. You know what I mean? I, I didn't want to be at home. I didn't want to like, I, I was out of the state for the first time I was on this like adventure. And this thing was so shitty that I was like, I'm going to leave early. I think I'm just going to put here a yeah, little early it. and take off. Like, that's not like, that's not how 20 year olds, that's not how 20 year olds act. Like a 20 year old can make it all the way through an event like this and, and, and be fine. So, uh, you know, I, I couldn't 
bear the thought of walking back into that place and smelling it <laughs> and and just being around those people it had gotten uh, uh there was this big semi truck and there was this huge group of people like sitting on top of the semi truck yeah i got pictures and they, of that yeah oh they were so aggressive and nasty and like i didn't want anything to do with that i mean i liked this metal music but I also like the sense of camaraderie in the pit where if you fall down, somebody picks you up. It wasn't a violent thing. People weren't there to fight each other at the shows I went to. And I didn't have that feeling at this thing. I kind of had a feeling of like, Ugh, this is uh, uh, these people are nasty and they're yelling. And I, I wasn't like a woke guy or anything back then. And I just. Right. But something even then it, it was too much. Yeah, something in me was just like this. These people, like a lot of these people, are fucking nasty, and I just wanted to get out. And I got out, and I, you know, also the conversation between me and my friend are like, "Well, we're gonna stay to watch the Red Hot Chili Peppers." Fuck you, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you had you had plenty of reasons to go. Well, uh, you know, as, as we wind it down here, uh, we're gonna talk the gathering in just a second, but. Real quick, uh, why don't you tell all of our listeners about the POD cast? Because I, I think it's a fucking awesome, uh, awesome show that you got going on there. Oh, it's a monthly show that me and my buddy John, uh, he does a show called Blocked Party. He's a stand-up comedian in Vancouver. Uh, he, me, he, me and him review a new metal album every month. And uh, you can vote on what we, we, uh, we nominate to each. And then there's a Twitter poll where people pick one of the four albums that we're going to review. Uh, we review new metal albums, and then we have a Patreon. On there, we review uh, anything from videos to new metal um, to new metal concert videos, uh, uh, videos, uh, <laughs> fucking compilations, soundtracks, stuff like that. So we do stuff there, and uh, uh, you know, occasionally have had people from bands on the show. We had. Uh, Keith Buckley from Every Time I Die on there, oh, cool, and we yeah. had Fallon Bowman from Kitty on there. No and, uh, way! Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's on the Kitty episode. It is is re she was really cool. So you know, when I was looking through the the list of uh, stuff, like you guys did the Crazy Town album, we had the one of the guitarists of Crazy Town on our other show on our Spring oh, Break no. episode. Yeah, uh, but what we gave you... them a very bad review. <laughs> oh, hey, uh, it's fine. And you know what? It's so funny because like. He was talking about because you know he has it from the perspective of fucking you know I uh I we had the top song in the country for like a long time and we just knew it wasn't gonna last and like blah 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 but he was talking about he's like you know I can go off and find another job like I've been fine ever since the band but like Shifty what's he gonna do what drive Uber and like I just fucking thought that yeah. that, that was like fucking great but what do you think is the quintessential new metal album? Uh, it sucks because it's not my favorite one, but uh, I think Significant Other is the one and then like person we're reviewing it tonight so it's fresh in my mind but follow the leader i think you, oh, you would say follow the leader and significant other are are kind of the two quintessential ones uh my favorite band is deftones so like white pony is 
I mean, that's just an incredible album. Right. And, and like, Deftones is like a little different. I feel I feel like they like transcended the new metal thing because like they have like great like stripper songs. You know, they have like se- they're like sexy yeah. new metal. They are. We always tell people that like as a joke, we always say like people like the Deftones. So they always say they're not new metal so that they can still say they don't like new metal. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then, but like, yeah, those are those are Deftones are is the best band. But yeah, Fall the Leader and Significant Other are just fucking baggers yeah, of albums. Those are like the ones for the Library of Congress, like archives for new metal uh appreciation and then you know what else is good let me tell you what else is good gold cobra by limp biscuit is a good album check it out it's good you will listen to it and you will say i can't believe this is pretty good (laughs) (laughs) i can't believe this is pretty good i love that that actually sounds like a perfect uh thing you you know you might be interested in this you were talking about a metallica the load era we did a whole thing on uh saint anger and uh and, and and some kind of monster, which was uh, grueling to, to say the least. But uh, also your, your other show that you, you've been doing for a while, Street Fight Radio. Uh, what working? You know, what's going on with that one? Uh, we've been doing it for ten years. It is a leftist. People call it a leftist podcast. It's uh, it's comedy, and we talk about like life, and we basically talk about where you know we're leftists so we talk about what it's like to live in capitalism basically and like what it's like to work what it's like to hustle for money and it doesn't sound funny but i swear it is and uh (laughs) we do live shows uh uh where that are pretty rowdy and like uh I don't know. And and on the Patreon, like I said, there are these mini series we do that I think, you know, somebody that listens to your show would probably like to listen to Shocktober, which is uh, six episodes a year. We talk about shock jocks. We pick a different one every week and we talk about Howard Stern, Opie and Anthony, Bubba, Bubba the Love Sponge, Steve Tom Likas. We have never done that. We have never done him. It has to have like a good... Uh, archive because some of these guys their stuff just isn't out there right so well, you did can't you ever, did listen. you ever hear about the disco demolition yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah, that, that's like his his whole like claim to fame is that that he was the host of that that thing he also did a lot of distasteful uh parody songs one about uh john wayne gacy uh which was based on uh fucking another brick in the wall but it's another kid in the crawl and like it's a whole yeah yeah so just just a little uh, hot tip for you so you're going to the gathering my co-host has been he did a two-hour long opus uh telling his story what are you most excited about about going to the gathering oh just seeing icp it's gonna be great and you know uh uh as i said i as a redneck kid and uh uh, i have three generations of my family will be there wow and a really uh, my, family affair. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, my nephews are are really part of that community. So like I'm I'm mostly excited about like just getting to hang out with a with a bunch of juggalos because if it was just me and, and my partner Brett going, you know, we've gone to a lot of things with the uh intention of interviewing people and talking to people, but we chicken out when when the time comes but now we're going to be at this thing and we're going to have a big network of people also i'm a wrestling fan so oh yeah J- jcw i'm excited about and then 
ICP, man, and seeing the seminars and the infomercials dropping tonight. So I can't wait to see what weird fucking bands are going to be. I love, I mean, this, the lineup for these things are so much weirder than anything else that's out there. So that's, that's kind of exciting too. Yeah. That's, that, that's what I've always heard. And yeah, I mean, fucking, I know, uh, I know Parks is really bummed he's not going this year. I'll have to send you over his uh, his his story. It's kind of like a survival guide. He wore a diaper the whole time. Uh, if, that's, uh, if that's any help to you, but Brian, dude, thank you so much for for coming on today, man. If you got anything else you want to plug, please go ahead. No, no, I'm good. It's only forty minutes from my house, also. So oh shit, I, I don't have to like. I can. I'm just gonna go home every night. <laughs> that's <laughs> I'm awesome. Fucking lazy. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, the only other thing I can think of, uh, we haven't super announced it yet or anything, but us and our buddies uh, Chapo Trap House and our buddies the Go Off Kings and a bunch of other, like, really funny, cool streamers and stuff are, are going to be doing a 24-hour stream on the Street Fight Twitch, Street Fight Radio Twitch on uh, September 4th, raising money for people affected by the uh, – eviction moratorium lifting okay and uh uh you know if you have extra money and you want to see some funny stuff uh we really want to help people out because you know they're going to get kicked out of their houses yeah yeah it's you know for for sure well fucking awesome man we will be talking soon i want to stay in contact with you 100 percent. and uh after you get after you survive the gathering i want to talk uh i want to talk about that (laughs) with you Hell yeah. Hey man, anytime, uh, uh, you know, you can always get a hold of, actually you can text me now. I, I, I called you. So you heard it here first you, folks. I got the text invite. If you need, if you ever want to do anything, let me know. And, and I'll get, I'll get you over on, I got to get you on street fight, man. I mean, maybe I have to have to have you call into the call in show and talk a little Woodstock with me. Cause you're more of an expert than I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I didn't get to smell the smell and that's one of my life's biggest regrets. Well, uh, we, <laughs> we will talk to you very soon, man. I'll, I'll probably uh, send you a couple links to some stuff tonight. Sweet. Thank you. All right, dude. Talk soon. Bye. Well, that was nice. It's always nice to get a surprise survivor on on the show. Uh, yeah, I was I was expecting to talk, you know, the documentary, uh, talk ICP, you know, new metal history. But wow, we got a whole fucking great survivor story out of it. So that's awesome. Yeah, make sure you check out all of Brian Quimby's stuff. And if you went to, worked at, or played Woodstock '99, or know someone that did, contact us at podcast ninety nine official at gmail dot com or on Instagram at podcast ninety nine for exclusive content. Follow us and subscribe to us on patreon.com slash culture dumps. I'm Ryan Lichten and I will see you at Woodstock.